0: And not to get too far into the skee ball conversation ahead of time, because I know I tease you guys about sabermetrics all the time. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing I like. I love baseball. Oh, Mets really? Fan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I I always find that bit so fascinating, right? Like, how does this person hit with runners in scoring position? How did they do with the bases loaded? How did they do? And in, in like, am I a clutch Hundo roller? Right. And and I would love to get that level of detail, especially now that the lanes will tell you. Okay, you just rolled a 40, 40, 50, 30, 40, whatever. The whole breakdown of what you rolled. That way when I go up there, I know, okay, well statistically, it's the same reason like the outfield will shift over because they're like, oh, he always pulls the ball. So let's Mm -hmm. all scoot over this way. Um, Because that's what they say. They're like, guys, scoot over. Right. He always hits it this way. These are my official baseball words, of course. Yeah, yeah. But I think that would be a fascinating thing to delve into if you really and i'm i love the stats and the numbers Mm -hmm. aspect of it um so i think that would be super interesting to see like do i always miss my last 40 is it because i'm standing up too soon and walking away from the lane as opposed to like start ending my 40 the same way i start my 40 just things to think about
1: welcome the 40 out the original competitive ski ball podcast Join us as we explore what it takes to become a legend of the lane. Hey everyone, this is part two of Ways to Improve Your High Score. Be sure to go back and listen to part one, or if you're brand new to skeeball, go all the way back to episode one to learn about the basics. I'm Joseph Bullard, aka Space Wolf. And I'm Willie
2: Garza, also known as Brew Horizons. Before we get back to our conversation with Ella, I just want to reiterate that that level of detail that she was talking about is something that Joanne and I think about all the time. We're constantly having conversations about skeeball, and we'll get into the weeds about a lot of different topics. Uh, Just the other day, I got a text from our former teammate, Joe, who was referencing a loss that we had almost four years ago now. Back in 2015, he was talking about the World Mug Tournament and our loss to, to New York City. And it was basically that we sort of got too amped up on our last victory because we had a huge game to knock out a San Francisco team just by one point. And his point was, we got real amped up and just didn't reset emotionally for the next game. And we were sort of playing reactionary at that point. And like, the thing that he said was, present day just shakes hands and like walks off after that win against San Francisco. And and don't think too big of ourselves at that point. And he said specifically, he was like, this falls under that whole act like you've been there before. And I think that's true. Oh, after the Alabama Slammer match. Right, right after that match. Probably one of the best matches we've ever played. One of the
1: most intense matches we've ever played, for sure. One of the best matches the two of y'all played. <laughs> sure. I mean, I rolled like a 330-something, which isn't bad, but... You guys are rolling lights out compared to me. I don't remember what New York team we played.
2: Yeah. And I think, I think that's part of the problem, right? It's part of my problem. (laughs) I mean, I think it's, I think it's part of the problem because it's not that we looked past them or anything, but we weren't ready to play them. We just came off a big victory and, and we're still just, again, just amped up and trying to ride that wave of like, Shit, we can do this. Like, that energy, and it just... That's not what we needed at that moment. Like, we needed focus. And, yeah, I don't remember that team exactly. I remember losing. I remember we were outside on the outside stage on the far right lane. I I, I remember that. I don't
1: remember the team. I just remember not playing well. Honestly, I think that game just took everything out of us. Like, it took so much out of us to win that game on its own. And we needed... I mean, halfway through frame five, frame six is when like the transition of momentum started happening. Like we started to steal it from them because we started rolling a couple of big frames. I mean, me mostly rolling down the middle, just kind of like stabilizing the team, but you picked it up. And then as soon as that happened, like the momentum just shifted our way and they started worrying that they were going lose to this, lose this match. And there's just a lot of energy invested in that. And I think that's probably what got the best of us. Not only were we very inexperienced, me and you, hybrid rolling wasn't even really a thing at that time, but you were doing it in that match. And I think that just took a lot out of us.
2: At that time, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking in the level of detail that we think now, and I wasn't keeping track of scores on my phone in a spreadsheet all the time like I do now. Now I care about those losses, and I would be paying attention to like, oh, this is we made a bad decision here, or, or whatever at that time yeah inexperienced so i had no intention of
1: caring about a loss in that way which obviously is a problem that's exactly what i was talking about inexperience just because we think about the game so much differently now although i think if we play them again today we probably don't beat them i think that's the only version of us that beats that team because that score was 1078 1077 like that was a monster fucking score So I don't even think like I think we're too smart to win that game now because we get in our own way and we end up losing it because we just did things differently. Like it would not have been that genuine, just like momentum and adrenaline. Mondo was in our side, like on our side coaching. And like it just took all of those things to like rally us. And I don't think we win that game again. Yeah. Because they were a much better team than us and they should have beat us. I think it's important to point out
2: that that's the type of stuff we're thinking about. Even four years later, we're still thinking about that that win and that loss. And it's not always those finer details of winning or losing. And I know when Joe sent me that text, he was referring to the psychology of the game, but we're not always that serious. It's not always about strategy. Sometimes we can get a little bit ridiculous.
0: I do have skateball shoes. I was going to say, <laughs> you,
2: you mentioned that you couldn't wear your what Vans over I couldn't here? wear
0: my Vans. Yeah, they're too flat. But yeah, I usually like uh, I wear my uh, Saucony. Saucony, however, mm-hmm. y- however you say.
1: I don't know which one it is either. I don't even know what that means. It's a <laughs> yeah, just shoe brand.
0: Yeah, it's it's the it's the these and and these okay. are these are hard to tell because they're denim. I have on a lot of denim. That's, yeah, that's, that's that's
2: pretty crazy. That's cool looking.
0: But yeah. um. It has more of a wedge in the heel, which I feel helps with fatigue. Um, having a flat shoe, I, by the end of the night, I feel like I have to compensate by leaning more forward right. on the lean to...
1: To, like, get the weight off your heels? Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because it's arm fatigue, right? Like, it, it's a thing. It happens. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Do you have any skee-ball shoes? Because I don't think that I do. I mean, I just wear whatever, whatever I happen to be wearing that day. I like my Merrells because they're comfortable. And lately I've I've been wearing those, uh, I don't know, they're not dress shoes, but they're definitely flatter. They are more, more akin to Vans, I guess. But I bought them because I was supposed to be wearing more professional-looking clothes at work. That's what they
1: complement, I guess. I usually only wear the same shoe. Most of my pairs are Chuck Taylors, All-Stars converse so that's usually what i wear but unlike ella i don't think i've ever rolled ball in a pair of shoes that is not flat sucks because my heels will start to hurt too but i own like one or two pairs of shoes that are not flat a pair of running shoes and a pair of boots so like i almost always wear just chucks i guess i used to wear doc martens sometimes like in high school
2: well yeah <laughs> but also as an adult i like uh steel toad still toad oh, uh, doc martens you got a new pair don't you I do have a new pair i haven't worn them because i don't have pants that they go with really dude
1: wear them fucking shorts <laughs> wear them the full circle bar <laughs> in shorts uh long ass socks no i don't think so all right let's get back to what ella had to say she rolls by the name alpha dick and she's one of our biggest rivals
0: I prefer to either roll in short sleeves or no sleeves because I feel like, and not to steal any of Gabe's thunder, Mm -hmm. but I feel like um, sometimes if the sleeve is like slipping down your arm mid-roll, it's distracting. So I feel like what sleeve I wear, I'll consciously remember to either wear a sleeveless shirt underneath or make sure.
1: Like a tank or something. Right,
0: right, just to make sure that I, I have that option for myself. I know when I get up to the lane, uh, again, being a being lady roller, uh, we have hips. And I usually have to try and get my hip out of the way. And that's been one of the biggest struggles with these newer lanes versus the older lanes because the foothold used to be larger on the old lanes. And I would put my left leg all the way over until I felt the opening for the key for the coin in the middle of my shin. So, like, that was kind of how I aligned myself and got my hip out of the way. And then, yeah, I think I I just kind of, that's like my routine when I'm up at the lane. Usually my watch slides up my arm. Again, things that bother me, I try and slide my watch down when I get up there. I get my hair out of the way. I sometimes thud the ball on the lane to, like, get used to the sensation of the ball in my hand. And also to intimidate my neighbor roller. (laughs) Shit, now I'm giving away all the secrets.
1: The one thing I've seen you do differently is that you really swing it. Yeah, yeah like when you're kind of like warming up and then even like very snappy, very snappy,
0: aggressive roll. Thank you. I think, I mean, if you're going to be alpha dick, don't you need to have like a snappy, aggressive roll? Like if I went up there and granny rolled it, you'd be like this clown (laughs) who they think they are, you know? But I think part of it too is I used to play softball. I used to pitch softball. And I think again, when I first started rolling, having that step, eliminating the extra motion to be able to the the more variables you can take away as to why you've missed the better and i think that's where the step was just dumb but i didn't know i was new you know but i think it's compensatory that i swing so far back with my arm and the only time i think if i reset i will probably refondle the ball in my hand just it's it's a You know, sometimes you roll and like right at the release point, your hand just kind of is like, ugh, and like spazzes out and kind of throws wildly one way or the other. And you're like, what happened there? My hand just had a mind of its own. So to try and avoid those moments, I kind of get used to the sensation of the ball in my hand and then just follow through.
2: Out of those things or anything you haven't mentioned, like do you have any tips for someone else who is just starting out?
0: I think the asshole in me first always says practice because I don't want anybody to think like,
1: Dish, it's easy.
0: Right, yeah. I mean, just, and, and that was the thing. I started rolling, and I mean, I'm sure the stats are out there to go back and look, but I mean, 28 was great for me, you know? Yeah. And and now if I rolled a 28, I would be shunned by my teammates, politely, in a way that said, like, you'll get them next time, but their eyes may say, like you fucked up. <laughs> Go outside and think about what you've done. That's great. Because now we have to make up for it. No, I'm just kidding. My team is phenomenal. I love my team. But back to your question. The obvious one is don't move your feet. Again, if you're, if you're cutting out extra motion, I think that's the, the easiest one. I know some people like to look at the net. Some people look at the The nuts on the cup, like the two little um, discs, I think, that hold together the, um, whatever that material is, plastic. I, for a long time, thought I set up, I thought I rolled from the middle. And then, again, just because I have to get so far over to get my hip out of the way, um, I realized how far left I start. So in acknowledging that, like when I talk to other rollers, I'm like, I start really far here. Like, where do you start? And if they're like, I don't know. And I'm like, probably a good thing to figure out. And I usually connect like a scuff on the rubber with the cup. And so I like connect like the same way you do with bowling and the little arrow carrots. Like you just roll through those and I kind of try and do the same thing. It's always easier to shoot for a target that's immediately in front of you than I mean, I'm sure guys that putt and golf do the same thing. Or maybe they don't. I don't know. But I'm going to assume because why not? The biggest tip aside from that would just be to either first be open to feedback. Um, If you want to improve, you know, nobody starts out great. Or they start out great and then they overthink it and then they shit the bed. Right? I think that's, that's it. But be open to feedback. And then if you don't know what you're doing wrong, ask somebody or be like, hey, watch me roll. or, And often that's what my team and I, oh, I didn't follow through on that last one or you short armed it or, you know, things like that. And I think that's just a good life lesson in general. Like be open to feedback. Everyone has things they can improve upon. So how get someone that you trust that isn't going to be like, well, you just suck as a roller. That's going to give you constructive feedback and then take it.
1: Yeah, that's a great tip. Yeah, if you don't know what you're doing wrong, ask somebody.
0: Right, because I'm sure, you know, you can sit there and struggle through it, or it's probably glaringly obvious to someone else that isn't inside their own head when they're up on the lane, so.
1: Your first answer, practice, like, that's a Right, that's I a mean, like, solid these, these are, you know. <laughs> Definitely going to have to do that.
0: Right, right.
1: The tragic thing is that people discover the league, they discover competitive ski ball, and they just they stop way too early. Right. Like, they... They have a little bit of beginner's luck and then they start to kind of shit the bed and then they think they suck and then they see other really experienced rollers like blowing them out of the water and then they're like, ah, I suck at this. Like, I can't do this. Like, I'll never be that good. Right. When the reality is that none of us are that fucking good when we start. Like, it takes right. thousands and thousands and thousands of balls rolled right. to like even get to the point where you are replicating the same motions every single ball.
0: Absolutely. And I think that that's I think that's a very fair statement. And I think also to allow yourself patience to not get frustrated with yourself. I mean, I think that that's I remember for a long time, I was like, oh, man, Rachel can always hit hundos so easily. And I can't hit hundos that way. And again, it was just a practice thing. And and she's still a better hundo roller than I am. But again, sabermetrics, I want to see the stats and see how good I am in the clutch hundo. In my mind, I feel like I'm pretty okay at it. The stats may say otherwise, but I'm going to stick with my non-scientific analysis of the situation until I have some hard numbers and then I can go cry about it later.
2: From what I've seen, I would say you're a pretty clutch hundo roller whenever you need it.
0: I'm making skeptical I mean, I appreciate the compliment, but I, you know, again, I want the, I want the, the the runners in scoring position to see what that, that means. And again, it's, just practice and I think you know again if you're if you're self aware enough um, you know when you, when you let go of the ball where it's going to go you know if you've missed it before it even gets to the cup like you don't have to sit there with anticipation to be like is it going to go in is it not no, yeah. you, you know you've blown it and it's funny because I was saying this to Rachel last night there is no greater feeling in the world than a swish hundo <laughs> yeah. like you didn't bounce it off the net you didn't it, like you just hit that shit cleanly and that's when you're like okay I feel like precise in my motion in my role
1: and you know it's going in as soon as it leaves your fingertips oh you're like like, that motherfucker's yes
0: and then you turn around and you yell at your opponent
1: or you walk away before it even goes in (laughs) and just like super badass (laughs) next up is our good friend christian long He's a Brooklyn roller, and he's been rolling for over seven years. This guy looks like Al Pacino, so his roller name is Serpico. Just like us, he's completely obsessed with skee ball strategy. And Willie and I literally talk to him every single day through our Slack channel. We were lucky enough to get him in the studio the last time he was visiting Austin. Is there a tip that you give somebody, like the number one thing you should probably
3: do if you want to start getting consistency? Uh, I tell people that they should just find a stance that's comfortable for them because I think once they're that curious to know about things like that, they say, well, what should I do? How should I stand? And I say, stand however you want and just figure out what feels good where you're not strained or awkward or off balance because you you don't want to move around a lot. Although, you know, most rookies do a whole lot of swaying and movement, and I don't really stop them from doing that. But if they ask, I say, just find something comfortable that you can – that makes it easy for you to replicate your motion, and from there then you figure out what you want to aim for some people look at the cup, some people look at the screws on the on the ramp, and you know you just want to find something that helps you be consistent and then you work from that and then I say you know every so often we change our stance like you just kind of you're never feeling perfected right you're always you're always working on your game and trying to change things to make it feel better or sometimes you you feel so accustomed to a certain thing that it it's like you're struggling to get over like a plateau and just doing something different can unlock a thing.
1: In your opinion, what do you think the best rollers do differently than other rollers?
3: Um, I think it's mostly mental in terms of focus and, you know, just taking it seriously. And, And, you know, when you can, once you've been around enough, you can just see by someone's demeanor whether they take it seriously or not without even having to talk to them. Like there are people that have been in the league for years and they just they just go up and they're just throwing those balls and then they're the people that get set and and have like a kind of a pre-game routine and it might even be just a couple seconds but it's still a thing that they do to get set and uh, I mean that's like the major difference is just the mental game and just thinking about it and wanting to be good and wanting to take it seriously.
2: You mentioned that some rollers have a pre-game routine. Do you do anything like that?
3: My pre-frame ritual is just I lean against the lane with my leg so I get that my fr- my right leg set and my left leg set, and I take a ball, and the thing that's kind of evolved for me is I want my arm to be completely straight, so when I release the ball, it is flush with the lane, like it's not dropping on the lane, it's not being thrown. I'm releasing it with no friction, no sound almost. So I lean on the lane with the ball, and that's my calibration. That's how far down I lean forward. And once I have that, and I take the other... I take three balls out, and I have two on the other hand, and then I kind of get my posture that feels most comfortable to get the best release if I'm thinking about it which I forget sometimes I breathe because breathing like taking a deep breath really relaxes me and flushes out the nerves for the the next few seconds and then I find my spot because I aim at a certain thing which is different on every lane unfortunately it's a crutch for me but uh, I, I find the spot on the lane that I've determined is where I want to aim for and when I am sure that I have it and I feel good enough, I feel like it's taking me a little longer than I like. Cause I, and oh, the other thing is, with, w- after I'm done leaning on the ball, then I keep kind of banging it down until I get the right grip. Like I want to hold the ball in the right way. And for some reason, it takes me a little while to do that. And if I don't have it, I'll just keep doing that. And I kind of hate how that probably looks to people, but I can't help it. Like I just, whenever I throw a ball when I don't have the right grip, it is off. So.
1: Do you hold the ball with all five fingers or how do you hold the ball?
3: No pinky. Three fingers and the thumb. It's
1: not perfectly that my my
3: ring finger and my, my pointer finger are like 180 degrees, but in my mind that's what I want. And the middle finger in the middle. But it's probably it's probably more like this, kinda just they're spread out, but it's just the three. That was like an early tip from Fisk. Um, we can get into Fisk. My early my early mentor, great Brooklyn old school veteran roller and teacher and mentor to all. Uh, I, I he was there that one of the first times we ever were practicing and he saw us like palming the ball and he's like don't do that like hold it in your fingertips don't hold it with all five fingers hold it with as few fingers as you can like the less you touch the ball the, the less variation in how it will come out of your hand and I have always thought about that ever since so I don't hold it on the edge of my fingertips as much as I he might like it's kind of in between like the first digit basically is how I hold the ball
2: Obviously, we play in a league called Brewski Ball, so that implies some sort of alcohol. Are you a roller who likes to drink when you roll?
3: I've tried to roll sober, and it just does not work. Um, I just drink beer, whatever beer I'm on at the time. It's usually like a cheap, watery beer. Lately, the last year or two, it's been mostly like Tecate Modelo-type beers. Uh, in Brooklyn, the, the house beer was Genesee Cream Ale, and I drank that for years, and and it was good, but I just can't, can't touch it anymore. The Austin East Cider is great. I love that's usually what I start with I'll have a couple of those on ice they're delicious it's not just a full circle thing it's like it's well distributed in the New York area now so I you know the blood orange is my favorite grapefruit's really good and the the regular dry is good and oh they have a holiday cider one that's amazing it's like cinnamon it's really good so yeah my pregame ritual I mean you know it's like like any bar game in a sense like this I learned when I First started going to bars and was playing pool a lot. Not that I'm good at pool, I've never been in a league, but you definitely notice being shaky and nervous and kind of all over the place when you're completely sober. And then when you're drunk, you're just a mess. There's that bell curve. It's a whole. It's a thing. It's like a real thing. Like in that middle zone where you're just loosened up enough to just be in the zone and, and, and have less inhibitions without being crazy and you're still, you're not drunk, you're just loosened up
1: what's the right amount of drinks for you and how much is too much
3: two or three beers is probably a good point you know i don't get drunk drunk really at all anymore you know somewhere between 3 and 5 is probably good cuz you know once you get to a certain point you don't stop but you don't want to get drunk you just want to kind of maintain which is another part of the game which is a funny thing to think back on the first season we immediately acknowledged how important that was but we didn't know what we were doing so you know we would be we'd be like oh last week we had Three beers before the match. Now we should only have two or like, oh, we should do one shot. Like we were strategizing the number of drinks we had at our pregame dinner, which was also a thing. Like we always had dinner and we were like counting our drinks. And then how soon do we get to the bar before our match starts? How much do we get to practice if there's a lane open? That was a whole thing that we were consciously actively talking about in our first season or two. Like we were really trying to crystallize that routine and, and have it down to a formula. If we have time, we get dinner together and definitely don't want to get to the bar at the minute our match starts. I so want to have at least two beers, probably three or four is, is my sweet spot for starting a match. And then after that, it depends. Because sometimes you, I might be really excited and I'm drinking too fast and I can feel it and then I'll just start chugging water because I just want to level out that, you know, like there are times where I'll just stop drinking in the middle of a match because I'm fine and I'm, the adrenaline is running enough that I don't need to drink anymore. But it's it's part of the game. It's definitely like a consideration that you're thinking about the whole time. And that's that's where the pacing becomes really difficult. When you have three matches and the third one is the most important, you can't be sloppy at that point. But you don't want to be still too tight, you know.
2: You mentioned that Fisk was a
3: mentor to you early on. Was there anyone else who played that role for you? Probably, but uh, Fisk is the one that stands out. I mean, it's a really, really vivid memory that like in our first skis where we were you know well the fir- like the first part is that we it clicked for us, right, you know there's people that you can as a veteran now you see the ones that come in and just wanna figure it out they're not it's not random, they wanna you know they wanna get better, they wanna learn the game, and that's how it was for us where we were just we were in there, and like it's not like we were there trying to be the best, we we're just trying to like be in this thing and not just doing it for no reason uh so being at being at a night where. The lanes were for free, so it's a good time to practice. And Fisk was there and could see us see us working and talking about it and trying to figure things out. And he stepped in and acknowledged that and was like, hey, do this with your stance. Hey, do this with your focus. Do this with your grip. And just gave us things to think about that still resonate in my mind seven years later, you know, with breathing and grip and, and everything else. Uh, and it's just been that mental approach ever since where – You know, you never are complacent. You're never happy with what you're doing. Like, you always want to be better than than what you did. You're never like, this is good enough if you're competitive. But my main routine lately has just been going to league night early, going there before anyone else is there. And it's quiet, and I can do whatever I want on every lane. And I want at least an hour before my match, but my most regimented practice where I'll just spreadsheet my scores and roll at least three matches for myself where... Just the act of recording the scores makes it count more and makes me more focused than just walking up, playing a game, trying to do a certain thing, but not recording it is still different. And that is something that uh, when I am more regimented, it's much better for me than just going there and rolling for an hour.
2: So far, we've asked a lot of rollers about individual strategies or routines that they have when they go up to the lane. But Dave Tater, who rolls with Flaming Hot Skeetos, had a lot to say about team strategy in their first year of competitive ski ball play.
4: Well, as a team, we very intentionally set goals at the beginning of last skis and where we wanted to be, like, personally as rollers and as a team. So really, the biggest thing was just we started practicing on nights that we weren't playing, and that's really what the made the biggest difference for us, I think. And we were all doing it as a as a team. We were all practicing. We weren't always practicing together, but we were always going in and, and practicing. How often would you say that you practiced outside of league nights? Um, we were trying to go in at least once a week. We have different work schedules, so I was trying to go in like on a Friday. And they were sometimes going in on a weekend. Just that extra time, just not having a week in between times when you were rolling, that made just a huge difference. We all had, like, where we wanted our averages to be as we were getting deeper into the the skis. And, and uh, if we weren't getting close to that, we were just practicing more and more just so that we could meet our
2: goals. So. Are there some things that you needed to change with your rolling to become more consistent?
4: I don't think I really changed what I was doing so much as like just being much more aware of what I was doing because initially I was just kind of like I would just roll the ball and you know things would kind of go haywire over time just like focusing on like where my arm was where I was letting go of the ball whether or not I was like twisting my wrist at all, like where my fingers were in relation to the ball when I let go of it, just slowly working on each one of those things over time. But I don't know that my the mechanics of how I do it are that much different than when I started. It's just kind of
1: more consistent. I like your answer because that's what a lot of newer rollers don't really they don't start to understand until much further into like their rolling careers is that one of the biggest things you should do is just honestly, just think about what you are doing. So then you can, you can figure out uh, what about that is wrong or when something's different and you miss um, just knowing where you're starting from can kind of help you figure out where it went wrong along the way. Having a good understanding
4: of what you're doing and that can make you understand like when you make a mistake You know, what the mistake even was when you start out, you're kind of just winging it. So it's hard to even know where you went wrong sometimes.
2: I definitely agree with Joey and agree with what you said that it's good to be aware of what you're doing. And to Joey's point about, you know, not changing anything right away, but just being more aware, like you said, if whatever you do to start out is comfortable, like, yeah, you should roll comfortably, right? Like, that's the first step, is there's probably some some good that's going to come from that because it's the most comfortable thing like don't try to change anything right off the bat because that was the natural motion now just figure out how to make that natural motion more consistent and keep those you know wrist turns or whatever movements like to a minimum so you can repeat it enough times to be consistent
1: worst case like you're you're making changes too quickly like you're not really giving yourself enough rolls You know, enough games, enough matches, enough just rolling balls, a certain way to figure out that all you needed to do was just do it a little more. Like you just needed more reps. That could be a downfall, I think, for someone that's new is just thinking that nothing works and just continuing to change things and not just kind of settling in and being like, hey, like I can get this. I just kind of need to stick with it and keep doing it over and over and over and over again and at least give it a chance to work. And it sounds like you're doing that, so that's great. Actually, I did think of one thing that
4: I, I did uh, early on. Was uh, that Australian Kim? What's, what's her uh, name?
1: Oh, Turner. Yeah, Kim yeah. Turner.
4: One of the first times we were there playing, we were watching her roll, and she would put her, her left arm behind her back. And I started doing that like almost right off the bat. I'm not really sure why. It just seemed like, oh, that seems like a good idea to do, just to keep it out of the way.
1: Are you still doing that? I can't yeah. remember. Yeah. Okay. The first person I can remember doing that was Givai Strauss. Because he, like, really leans over the front of the lane. Yeah. And, like, he was the first person I seen that, or I saw that. Uh, Meg's going to get pissed because I said seen instead of saw. <laughs> and that's how I corrected myself. But he was the first person I saw to, like, permanently have his left hand there. But I get what you're saying. Like, yeah. you probably made, like, I don't know what to fucking do with his hand. Yeah. And a lot of people do some weird shit with it, and it's, like, floating in the air. Or like put it out in front of them like it's gonna fucking karate chop somebody. So yeah, that makes all the hell the sense in the world.
4: I think that was like a a big thing to figure out just initially was just like, you know, what do I do with my hands? How do I position myself so I can just do it consistently? You know, I started putting my, my shin up against a certain spot on the machine just so that I was always in the same location on the lane when I rolled. Just little things like that just to
1: try to always do it the same every time. A lot of people do that. I think most rollers do that. At some point, they'll figure out, like, ooh, that's why I lined up. That really worked. That felt good. Uh, So I'm going to, like, try to remember that and make mental notes. And then if you can find something to use as an association for that position, I think it's great. That was
4: something we were all doing, everybody on my team, when we were starting out, was just kind of watching and just seeing, like, that guy's really good. What is he doing That's like I could maybe pick something off of and, like, use it for myself? My advice, at least you know, if you're starting out, would be to be really focusing on where you're letting go of the ball. I think uh, as you go forward, you kind of start to learn how hard to throw it to get it where you want. But the main thing, at least for me, is like just having it go down the center. And you know, like I said, if you twist your wrist or swing your arm a little bit across your body, it's gonna you know go off to the side. And for me, focusing further down the lane or towards the bottom of the ramp, that makes a big difference.
1: So what are the typical things that are going through your head, like when you're rolling a frame in a competitive match? For me at this point, it's really about
4: just clearing my head. I've practiced enough, so like I said, I know how hard I need to throw it, and I know what I need to do. I generally just go for 40s, so I'm not doing anything too crazy. Um, a lot of it is mental and just, like, not letting mistake throw me off or, like, overcorrecting, but just to get back to, like, a neutral state. I think that is the biggest change from my first season to my second in is just the mental stuff. I've gotten better, but, yeah, like, The first season, I was easily distracted. Even just thinking, like, hey, I got two 40s in a row, like, would throw me off. (laughs) (laughs) So it wouldn't even have to be an outside distraction. It could be a completely internal distraction. But uh, I'm getting much better at just, like, really just trying to concentrate on each role. I try not to think too much about what I did before or concentrate on the score. I just, like, think about what i need to do and just try to execute it
1: i would probably say that i don't know 80% of what distracts me is probably in my own damn head it's just me thinking thoughts and then the other 20% is like hearing somebody across the bar like a very specific voice that i know well and it starts making me think about that person for no fucking reason other than recognizing their voice that's probably what distracts me most and then every now and then You get bumped or someone drops a ball on the floor and you know it vibrates or someone has a huge frame and like the whole bar kind of like roars you know and they're cheering for that person fuck sometimes the music like every now and then you'll be in the middle of your frame and the music will stop in between tracks and you're like I'm thinking that the music has stopped and now it's a lot more quiet or I can hear more of those voices and pick out more very specific voices and I don't want to break my rhythm to, so like, wait for the next song to start up. And my luck, even when the next song does start up, it's, like, a slow fucking build. So, like, it doesn't even matter because it's still quiet anyway.
2: I don't want to say superstitions, or. but have you noticed any other, like, routines like that that you do when you go up to the lane?
4: Yeah, I have, a. you know, I I kind of, like, straighten my pants and straighten my shirt and stuff and just kind of, like, it's kind of like a
1: little ritual I do just to, like, clear my head, I guess. I do a lot of those things, too. Like, I fucking spin the ball in the lane and stuff like that, but I also just kind of pull my shirt down so it's not, like, fucking crumpled up in a way. <laughs> like, around my waist so that, like, that's the thing distracting me because my shirt's not laying straight. Or just, like, when I'm leaning over, it's not pulling up so my. Yeah, or you're, like, worried about, about somebody looking at your
4: ass.
2: <laughs> when I'm being really serious about the game and actually, like, trying to do really well, which you would hope would be every frame, but it's not. I mean... That explains a lot. If I'm being honest, (laughs) it's not every frame. But when I'm thinking about it for real, I'll go up to the lane, obviously find my spot where my shin goes, put my feet in the right spot, hit the button, pull up my pants, pull down my shirt. I'll start to get a ball, but I won't. And I'll usually, while I'm looking at the lane, like while I'm looking at the hundo cup, because this is usually when it's happening, I'll, like, fix my glasses, make sure my hair is behind my ears, and I, like, draw a line from the hundo cup down to the spot on the ramp that I know I want to hit back to where the ball is going to release from my hand, and then I'll pick up the ball, and then I'll follow that line. And I always hit the first hundo when I do that, if I, like, take the time to do that. But I don't do it every time, which is stupid. But I feel like if I take the effort to, like, slowly do
1: all of those things... I tend to hit the first ball, Hundo. That's interesting. Yeah, the fine line is always, like, overthinking it. Yeah. Like, at what point are you starting to overthink it? And that's where that... It's so hard to to stay on the right side of that sometimes. Are you talking about you draw a line with your hand or you're doing it with your eyes? With my eyes. I'm okay. just, like, you know, visually getting a spot, like, where I want the ball to go, like,
2: just from the Hundo Cup to the lane all the way back to, like, where I'm going to release it, basically.
3: Where... More-
1: One of the people we knew we had to bring onto the show is Nicholas Hasso, also known as Beskemith. He's been rolling for about three years and has honestly picked the game up faster than anyone I've ever seen. In the short amount of time he's been rolling, he's managed to rack up a number of accomplishments. And he's one of the most disciplined rollers I've ever seen pick up a ski ball.
2: I think another thing that's led to Hasso's success is that he's just highly competitive. And it's not just limited to ski ball. He's also
1: a tennis player and coach. Do you feel like being a serious tennis player has made you a better skee ball roller?
5: Yeah, no doubt. I think one of the things that's been really helpful for me is like that level of accountability for your performance that you really always get in tennis because it's just you out there. Also really being aware of what aspects and honest with yourself, what aspects of your performance worked and what didn't, um, and where you need to improve for next time and also I think I've just lost a lot you know so I'm, I'm really in a lot of ways I've just gotten used to I mean both winning and losing but like getting used to taking those losses and making them investing in them and making them you know worthwhile.
2: Do you feel like that's one of the things that maybe other people don't do when they're when they're thinking about improving at skee-ball? Like, they don't take the time to, like, reflect on on the loss?
5: Yeah, uh, I mean, maybe. I I don't know for sure, but I I know firsthand that it's super painful to look at a loss and spend a lot of time looking at it. And up to a certain point, it can be really detrimental. Uh, I mean, you don't want to replay it for weeks on end or anything like that. I think a lot of people will lose and then they'll chalk it up to something that they have no control over. Um, So they have nothing to work on.
1: I think all of us are guilty of that at some point or like one point or another. Like I know I've done that where I'm just like fucking lane. Like I hate this lane. Lane one, it's like it slopes up against the wall. Yeah, lane one sucks though. (laughs) Yeah, it's like it's difficult. It's difficult to like to take a step back and kind of, like, remove yourself and say, hey, like, can I make excuses? Like, what did I do wrong? And I think it's one of the things that separates great rollers from just good rollers is that they at least think about what they're doing wrong, and they think about the changes they need to make and, like, figure out how to make very, very subtle adjustments because getting into the Brody, getting into those tournaments and, like, making it to the finals, you know, and any of these bracketed tournaments – Like, that's like 90% of the work. The other 10% is winning these fucking things because it is fucking hard. You know, it's really hard to win in Austin, for sure. And then also on the national level, uh, which luckily you've done both now, so that has to feel fucking great.
5: Yeah, it does. Are there any rollers that stand out or have influenced
1: the way that you roll?
5: So early on, when I was first starting, I asked everyone who was ever practicing around me, I asked them so many questions. Floater was around a lot, so I picked up a lot from him.
1: What were some of those questions you asked?
5: The very first question I ever asked him was, how do you roll the ball so consistently? <laughs> and he was just like, roll lots and lots of ski balls. Uh, and so I did. Uh, but actually, one of the first conversations I remember having with him was about the hybrid roll, and I, I started to do that my my rookie season. Uh, he Kind of broke it down for me score wise and why it's why it's beneficial if you don't feel that confident in hitting your forties, even if you know you're not going for a higher score, it can help you out and i was I was at a point where I was confident enough to do that, and he, yeah he's so he's really helped me, and I've tried to kind of emulate him in a lot of ways also because he was crushing it in my early seasons, like he was far and away a top dog my first three or four seasons.
1: So thinking about just like the motion of rolling and things like that, is there something you did, is there kind of a a moment or a single change, and adjustment you made that kind of elevated your game overall?
5: Yeah, I changed my stance once. It was actually, funny enough, right after we won the World Mug, I decided to change my stance because it wasn't working for me anymore. I actually had, I wouldn't even say the yips leading into the World Mug because there was just, it just seemed like this was mechanically flawed. Like I was rolling from between my legs with one leg forward, my right leg forward. And it was just, I mean, it felt, it worked really well for me for a while, but then it just started to feel unnatural. And I was just throwing everything kind of left to right, pretty, pretty strong angle. So I, I when I changed my stance to roll like a normal human being, you know, from the outside. <laughs> Outside of my legs, uh, that not at first um, did a lot for me. But eventually, you know, where I am now, I think I credit that a bit. Like, I don't think I would be rolling as well as I am now or have in the past few seasons if I hadn't changed that. For everyone out there listening, can
1: you kind of walk everyone through what that looks like? You know, like you coming up to the lane, what you do with your feet, what you do with your hands. Can you walk us through that?
5: Yeah. So uh, now I, since I'm rolling from the outside of my right leg with my dominant arm, my right arm, as, you know, it's probably intuitive for most people, I set up left of center of the lane. So I place my right leg, I would say left quarter, right, left quarter of the lane and then. Lean over the lane and grab both sides of the lane, so I know that I'm in a consistent spot with my upper body as well. And then I just, yeah, roll from the outside of the leg, up, (laughs) up the lane. (laughs) What are some of the things you're thinking,
1: like in terms of repeating the same motion over and over again with every single ball? What are what are some of the things you focus on, uh, you know, with your swing or what the way you're holding the ball, the way you release the ball?
5: Yeah, so uh I'll keep that stance. Obviously, if, if I if for whatever reason I shift like I'll reset because I I want to make sure I'm in the same stance. Um I hold the ball loosely and just work on gentle extension no matter what I'm going for. If I'm going for the furthest pocket away, I'm just trying to extend gently. You know, that's it. Uh gentle extension. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good roller <laughs> name, huh? Gentle extension. But yeah, and you know, I, I try to keep it so that I'm not thinking about a million things. But uh, when I guess when you're first learning, there are a lot of things that you need to be consciously focusing on. So for instance, like, keeping the parts of your moving body, you know, consistent. So like, if you're like, is what's the what's your wrist doing? You know, is it moving a lot? Is Are you twisting your arm? Are you twisting from the wrist, twisting from the elbow? Is the shoulder in the same spot? The shoulder should always be in the same spot. I mean, unless you're dislocating your shoulder, right? So I think, yeah, I just try to keep it simple and pick a spot I want to follow through to. And that's pretty much it. Nice, long follow-through.
2: When you pick a spot, are you looking at the cup? Or are you looking at the lane?
5: I try to look at the lane. Try to look at the ramp. Um... I you know pick a spot that I wanna hit, and then I will look at the ramp pick a spot on the ramp that I wanna hit that I think would lead to that spot. That's pretty mm-hmm. much it. How do you keep up that level of mental focus during a match? I think I have a lot of practice with tennis um and having to reset and refocus every every point uh it's It's a little more compact in ski ball you essentially have to refocus every ball like a frame's not good enough you lose focus in a frame you know in between balls that's gonna that's gonna affect things so I think resetting every ball and picking that spot again if things are flowing like then you don't have to think about it that's fine great whatever but you know really resetting and focusing on each ball I mean it's it's the challenge you know I think just a lot of practice I don't think it necessarily comes easy. If it did, then you know, this wouldn't be any fun.
1: Yeah, there are definitely things that distract me. You know, things that are happening in the bar. One of the one of the most distracting things for me is to be able to single out a very specific person's voice, like in a conversation. Like I just automatically think about it. I'm like, oh yeah, that's (laughs) doodles over there, like, you know, talking about The clap and like dicks and snatch and stuff like that. Like, I cannot not hear it. Yeah. So, are there things that happen in the bar that distract you? Or are you just completely locked in? Doozles. Doozles Doozles in general. So distracting. (laughs) (laughs) Their whole team.
5: Yeah, their whole team. Uh, No, I certainly. I mean, I, but I think that's just a sign that I'm not as focused as I could be. But yeah, certainly. I I think I, I do get, I do pick up on things happening around me or behind me. And I start to, it takes me out of the moment. Uh, but I think that's part of the challenge, right? And so I think you can't block everything out. That's impossible. It, that's not a thing. When people say block it out, that's, that's just not a thing. You All you can do is focus more keenly on a particular thing. Instead of making it something detrimental, you know, you make it something beneficial to you.
2: You've talked a lot about routine and like sort of the mechanics of you getting ready is there anything that you have that you do that maybe does feel a little more superstitious or is there a drink you like to have while you roll because that makes that's that's also part of the mindset of being at ball and rolling competitively
5: I mean the face paint a little bit right Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) totally and just washing it off (laughs) before I even come Um, but that's only for big events too big events where I show up without face paint I've already, you know, maybe maybe not the full get up, but like you know, make some uh things. I I kind of like just like drawing before to start thinking visually as opposed to uh verbally. I don't think that's superstitious, but sure, I, yeah, no. um
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say that is. I'd just say that's part of your routine, like Yeah. part of your preparation.
5: Drink-wise, I like to drink beer, but <laughs> Not a specific kind. It doesn't really matter to me as long as I'm not getting too messed up. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So how many is too much? Like, do you not have any drinks before a match? Do you get a drink when the match starts? Uh, how, How many drinks is like that very special, like top of your game versus like one drink too many?
5: I'd say like two drinks in the first hour and then just like a drink after that every hour would be ideal don't always do that because sometimes it just gets so amped and I'm like drinking so like too fast <laughs> before I even notice it. And I'm like, my beer's gone. Why'd I do that? And you know, some so sometimes I'll just switch to water, but yeah, I don't really have... Uh, it It's always just beer though. It's not whiskey or... No, uh no, I don't do that anymore. I I'll, I'll only do shots as celebration. Thinking about all the things we've talked about so
2: far, or maybe we haven't even mentioned it yet. Is there something that you would tell somebody who's new to the game that could help them improve like is there a, a number one tip for someone interested in becoming a better roller
5: i think it goes back to making sure you have a specific target so something i mean the smaller the better in my opinion but also you know that gentle extension like you're not rolling that ball hard this is a precision game it's a field game you don't need to roll the ball hard <laughs> if you're rolling it hard and it's going in Awesome, but you actually probably don't even want to keep that up. Like still try to roll it softer, even if you're missing. There are just things you have to be aware of. No matter what it is, whether it's the gentle extension or not, you have to be aware of what you're doing. And even if that level of consciousness makes you perform worse, so be it. I mean, this is a process like you're not gonna be great right right at the beginning. So you gotta be ready to miss a lot with like sort of an easy or um that's what i'm looking for more efficient way of rolling even if you suck at it like try to get good at that because even if that's not going well at first like eventually it'll be a uh, second nature and you'll be you'll be crushing it with that and there are just fewer things that can go wrong like limits, variables limits, variables even if even if it's terrible at first i think a lot of people you know, you suggest something to them, they try it, and they miss, like, twice. And they're like, oh, that doesn't work for me. That's no good. And it's like, <laughs> okay,
1: yeah, it, <laughs> don't <it's>, do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit naive to to not give it hundreds and hundreds of balls. Like, you, if you make a change or you're trying something new, you literally have to, you just have to do it over and over and over and over again to, like, really find out if it's going to pay off or not.
5: I mean, unfortunately, part of getting good good at this game is having to overthink things for a while and not being very good at it for a while until you don't have to overthink it and it just happens.
1: Willie, what thoughts do you want to leave everyone with?
2: For me, if you're trying to become a better, more consistent roller, particularly up the middle, I think, it's about minimizing movement. I think a lot of people touched on that and gave some very specific examples, but it's about finding a spot that you're comfortable on the lane. You're probably going to brace yourself against the lane with one of your legs, whichever is most comfortable for you, and then get your non-dominant hand out of the way by bracing it somewhere on your body or just like putting it behind your back. And again, find a spot that is really comfortable because when you're rolling 10 frames... It's going to get tiring if you're trying to do something special or trying to balance on one foot. Or it can be really inconsistent if you're taking a step up to the lane every time you pick up a ball. Or if you pick up a ball and step back and then roll it like you're rolling a bowling ball. So I think it's really important to find some some particular position that you're just comfortable in and you know that you can repeat the same motion as consistently as possible.
1: I think the tip that I want to leave everyone with is similar to something that Ella said at the beginning of this episode, and that's just taking the time to think about what you're doing. If you can do that and start to think about what you're doing while you're rolling, and at the same time you're minimizing those movements, you're going to start to realize what you're doing wrong, or if it's because you missed, you're going to start to realize why you missed. And I think that's just a different way of thinking about the game. And as soon as you start doing that, the better off you're going to be. And the faster you're going to become a more consistent roller. In general, it's just thinking like a veteran roller. The sooner and the faster you can do that, the easier time you're going to have. We really hope that everyone finds some value in these last two episodes. And most importantly, get out and find a place to roll. And if you need some help, check out the Google map that's on our website at 40outpodcast.com slash roll. Speaking of the map, we want to give a special shout out to Joey the Cat, Jacob Stout, and Beskemeth for sending us almost 30 new locations to add to it. We also want to thank everyone you heard in the last two episodes. Part one of Ways to Improve Your High Score featured James Gray, a.k.a. Ray Muscario, Bonica Ayala, a.k.a. Phoenix, and Roy Hinojosa, also known as Brubaca. And part two featured Ella Nilsson lasseter aka Alpha Dick, Christian Long, aka Cervico, Dave Tater, also known as Shrug Life, and Nicholas Hasso, aka The Schemeth. 40 Out was created by Willie Garza and myself, Joseph Bullard. We're doing all the recording, editing, design, and social media. The music you hear in the podcast is provided by Cymatics Beats. We want to take a quick moment to thank everyone for their support and for following us on Instagram at 40OutPodcast and visiting our website, 40OutPodcast.com.
2: There's so much more to come, and the best way to support us is by telling people about this podcast and listen to every episode we publish. You can listen and subscribe wherever you find your favorite podcast. If you listen to us in Apple Podcast, we'd really appreciate if you could take a few minutes to rate the
1: show and leave us a review. Roll up a chair and tune in next time. Thanks so much for listening.